You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian, Chapter 12, The Siege. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and with me, uh, not my faithful co-pilot, hopefully Ooh. he's back next week, but, uh, but, faithful. but my other faithful co-pilot, <laughs> okay. I, I, Amanda Conkin. Hi! I'm excited to, I, I have been on Faster, More Intense once. Yeah, I agree uh, with my presence last season. So it's weird to say your name it because is, it is weird. on Thunderquack you introduce yourself, right? I really do, and this this um rundown that I've been provided is misleading because it does say I'm one of your hosts. Dot dot dot, and the dot 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 in my ma- my world is you saying your name and then me going, and I'm your other host, Amanda Conkin. So yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I I sorry different. that I I wasn't up on it but i hope i didn't mess it up too much because you got to still say my name so i'm glad you said it right thank you it's fine (laughs) that i said your name right well i should hope after i i i uh, I don't you know what let's not even how how many years has it been when did we meet i don't i don't oh boy i know (laughs) Uh, because i think it might be around 20 years oh my goodness uh, no uh, we didn't meet when we were like oh man actually no I we did. I forgot about those extra years. You know when you get through like a different decade. The first couple like, of times, the, yeah. The first, the first few years of the new decade, you're like, well, I still consider myself thirty. <laughs> you're like, yeah. no, yeah. no, anyway. those, those, because because the first couple of times that we met were at Shakespeare Fest, which I guess my first year would have been, would have been like tenth grade, maybe eleventh. How many years did I go? I think I went three years. It would have. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I you would have been in ninth grade, yeah, 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 yeah. So that would be, that would be, yeah, like two thousand, like two thousand or two thousand and one, maybe, because oh, it would have been the second half of the school year. We've known each other for so spring. long. Yeah, I so, feel yeah. relatively confident saying that I've known you for twenty years. Yeah, that's wow. uh, yeah. So, um, great. This is cool. look, listen. This is not going to be your average episode of Faster, More Intense because. <laughs> It's Amanda and I, and we're probably going to bring a little bit of our quiver slash thunderquack flavor to this one. Um, I <laughs> think last year focused. you, it's good. Last year when you were on, were you on with me? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay, it was just us. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh. So well, then oh, I guess that you know, some you know faithful listeners are going to. I might not have. To be to be, I mean, I can't remember that far back. I might have been on yeah. it with somebody else because I feel like I did it one of the. The reason I came on is because you wanted like a break and you were trying to find other people to do stuff. And so I think you had gotten somebody yeah. pretty faithful to do it. And then you're like, Amanda, can you go like sign up with them? I, you yeah. were like getting us to like, so maybe we haven't done a faster, more intense together. That might be Interesting. the case. Yeah. Cause back last, this time last year I was doing, um, four shows and had a n- newborn. Yeah. Well, not quite. <laughs> she wasn't a newborn at that point. She was a 
couple months old, but still like three months old, but, but yeah, like a three month old at home. So, uh, yeah, that, that was one of the main reasons why I wasn't on every episode last year of faster, more intense. And this year it's like, well, um, I don't have, I mean, we have thunder quack every week, but I don't have any other shows that I'm covering right now because guess what? Everything is on hiatus except for this. It's like, this is like the only thing airing on a weekly basis right now. Yeah. I mean, Grey's Anatomy came back. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Things that, things of relevance, things of relevance. That's fair. Um, Burn on Grey's Anatomy. uh, So yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's jump into, into the news. I don't really have any news stories this week. What we're going to do is uh, the same thing we've done the last couple of weeks. Uh, and in particular this week, uh, we'll, we're going to play with everybody once again to head over to the uh, the trans rights or human rights. This is the way fundraiser over on GoFundMe. Just go to GoFundMe.com and uh, in the little search bar, put trans rights or human rights and it'll pop up. It's the one with Baby Yoda. Uh, on the uh, the little logo, uh, I, and uh, and and go donate there, I, and we're gonna keep hammering that, uh, I think for the rest of the season because uh, because it's it's a good thing to do. We're not gonna beat around the bush. Actually, we're not gonna talk around the subject. Tonight's episode uh, is a tough one. It's a very good episode. I've... Yeah, it's really fun. It's a great Star Wars adventure. There is some awesome world building in it and really important plot stuff. There are some phenomenal Baby Yoda moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. And yet the whole thing, and not to mention the fact that it's Carl Weathers' directorial debut on The Mandalorian, and he does a great job with this one. So there are a lot of things to celebrate. But the uh, the the elephant in the room is absolutely Gina Carano. Yeah. And the uh the 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 controversy with uh with her attitude as of late and and we've talked about it on the podcast already so we don't need to like get crazy into it but just know that that we're going to do a little bit of separation on this show between the character of Cara Dune and the actor of Gina Carano because I quite like the character of Cara Dune but I have a hard time with that because of how much I am disappointed in Gina Carano at the moment. And I'm, that was, sorry, go ahead. That, but that was my thing coming onto this episode where I was like, of all the episodes that I get to be yeah. on, because it's just, it is tainted. And I, it was a thing that I had to do too, where I'm like, at a, like within responsible like viewership and, and like, however much you can separate the like person from the content. And in this case, it's not as if she's created, like she is, this character does not just belong to her. It belongs to a larger world, which is different than like problematic authors or things like that. Right. Where like (laughs) the, the characters are created by like a single individual that there's a certain amount of, of that like lenience that I had to sort of give this to be like, I do, she's doing a lot for really awesome sort of like, female characters in this universe and is one of like there's there's some great women in the mandalorian but you know nobody really knows her name (laughs) except for cara dune right so it's like she is the the main female character in this particular iteration of star wars and so it's important that that we recognize like 
that there's a certain amount of um, excitement that's still around that character, yeah. even though she's not necessarily the greatest human. And I think she's she's trying to be better. Like, I feel like her and um, Pedro Pascal are, are playing nice again on, like, she's, I think she, rec- like, I don't know. I haven't looked yeah, too yeah. much into pa- it, but I pa- feel like- Pedro did yeah. post uh, something today that actually, it's, it's interesting because it hasn't gotten really a lot of chatter. And I, I expected at some point for it to turn into a thing. Thankfully, they released a Kylo Ren comic today. And I d- look, listen, Raylos, <laughs> I'm not coming after you with this. This is not like <laughs> me, you know, I but the a Kylo Ren comic was released today. Uh, Star Wars Adventures came out uh, Star Wars Adventures, like villains journey or something like that. And it's a story about Kylo Ren. And there are a lot of people that are very upset. I I tread carefully here. (laughs) I love Ben Solo. I love the dynamic with Ray. I love all of that stuff. And it's become very important to me over the course of this year. Right. Since, since rise of Skywalker really. And uh, I, I totally support everybody um, uh, voicing their opinion and, and having ideas and, and, uh, and discourse about the way that, that character has been treated by Lucasfilm because it's it's been a little bit weird since last year, since this time last year. It's it's very odd. Um, that said, Kylo Ren is absolutely a villain if we're going to categorize him. Ben Solo is not. Ben Solo exists in the last couple of minutes of Rise of Skywalker, right? In like the last maybe 20, 25 minutes of Rise of Skywalker. Previous to that, he is Kylo Ren and he is a villain. He is the antagonist of the story. He is a relatable villain in the same way it's the it's it's a reverse Anakin, right? Anakin's a hero in the first two movies and through most of the third movie, up until that moment where he makes a very bad choice and he decides that he's going to cut off Mace Windu's hand in order to save the bad guy. And that's when he then goes, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, and then starts murdering children. And at that point, we're all like, yeah, he's a bad guy, right? We don't have a problem with that. Then he becomes Darth Vader. He's a villain. Kylo Ren's story happened before that, and he he fell before that. And now we have the Rise of Kylo Ren comic that tells that story, kind of. Although it's kind of a half measure, in my opinion, but whatever. Uh, and And he is a villain up until that point where he becomes redeemed right and then and then he comes back and he's a redeemed hero loving ben solo and loving kylo ren as a character doesn't mean that he's now not a villain and i don't understand why people got upset that lucasfilm would put him front and center in uh, a comic book with a title I, i think it's villain's journey i can't remember um I don't read the the comics as they come out. I I wait until later. And it's the IDW ones, which is weird to me anyways, that some of them are with IDW and then the rest of them are Marvel. It's a very confusing thing. But regardless, that definitely drew a lot of fire today. And so that's what the the every morning when I wake up and I go on Twitter, it's always like, what's the thing today? What's the white actor said something white? I a piece of merchandise was promoted what comic book came out or trailer or whatever that everybody's pissed off about today i 
and it's not it's not everybody i'm being very general but this tends to be the case that's how twitter works and then a, a publication every once in a while picks up a story and then uh and then it becomes part of the larger discourse i saw this instagram post from pedro pascal today actually i didn't even see it from pedro i saw it from the artist that he got the art from who is an artist that i follow which is a really big deal for that artist i the her name is is uh it's on instagram at Cranitus. i don't know how to say instagram names or twitter names P-R-A-N. I, I feel like they're meant to be read like visually rather than said. Yeah, they are, yeah. So it, they're, it's, they're it's, art it's, in and of themselves. So yeah, uh, at C R A. I just want yeah C R A N I T Y S. Um. Anyways, I I, I is some of their art that got posted on on like reposted by Pedro of Mando and Kara. Uh, hugging and and Pedro captioned it with friendship and I I you know I think that the message is pretty clear I think I I think coming from Pedro it's you don't have to be a genius to read between the lines of what he's saying which is stop harassing her right yeah um do we have to agree with what she has said do we have to tolerate the intolerance no but that doesn't mean that we should all be online uh you know sending hate messages and stuff like that to a person um i don't think that's the place i i that's i don't think that's the way to react it's the it's it we're star wars fans it's the rose tico quote we don't win by destroying what we hate but by saving what we love right so that's why that fundraiser the trans rights or human rights this is the way fundraiser is something that i'm pushing really hard and saying to people like if if you are uncomfortable watching this episode because of gina carano uh and you're going like oh man i don't want to support her but i do want to support the mandalorian or i enjoy the mandalorian it makes me happy i actually enjoy her character then balance it if if anybody's watched the good place it's like you can't avoid doing bad stuff in this world when you buy a pair of shoes you've committed a thousand sins right but offset it by doing more good than bad that's 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 what it comes down to so you don't have to feel guilty you don't have to be upset about it you don't have to boycott the show just it's like offsetting your carbon footprint. Yeah, we got to do some of this stuff. It's the way that the world works. But we can also take action to make sure that we're putting more good into the world than than the negative that we're affecting, right? So if everybody just did that, I think everything would be a heck of a lot better. And, and in this specific instance, it's going to that GoFundMe and dropping. In this instance, I, the suggestion is, if you're able $12 for chapter 12, um, which I think is a great way to do it. I did it last week. I, I, and I, I, I think it, like we thunder quack has donated and I have donated and I, I, it's, it's a, it's a cause that I think is worth while it's for the, I, um, transgender legal fund, I think, or, I can't. I can this never is the same. This the is the same one that that had been posted a while ago. Because I feel yeah. like I, yeah. I feel like I did, I did tweet about it a while ago too. But I'm like, maybe I. Yeah. Should. 
Yeah, and that's the other thing is that if you can't afford to because, hey, we're still in the middle of this global pandemic crisis thing and some people are strapped for cash because they are out of work or on reduced hours or all sorts of different things, um, then I just share it. Just share it because that is also helpful because maybe you can't contribute, but one of your friends can. And uh, uh, if you don't share it, then they might not see it and that might not happen. So that is, uh, don't let people convince you that it's slacktivism. Spreading the word is just as important as throwing down a couple of bucks. So I have um, something that, that somebody, I feel like it's earlier this year that I heard and who knows, it was on the internet. Maybe you told me, Mike, but like the idea that like people that are arguing, like if you have somebody that has a contrarian opinion and you feel like expressing an, like an opinion and like, like you're not trying to change their mind. You're trying to make it clear to the people around them that theirs isn't the only way. Right. So it's not necessarily just about the thing itself, but it's also about like what you're putting out in the world and even just posting something to support an organization that you're like, Oh, look, there's, other people that support these kinds of things. Right. And so I think that you can do some beautiful good, even if it's just talking about it. And you know what, like ultimately that's what this whole conversation has been about. That's what the, that's how the whole argument started is that um, Gina Carano did not understand why people would put pronouns in their Twitter bio. And that's what she caught flack for. And then her response to it was, an awful response and instead of learning from it and apologizing for it she doubled down and then somewhere along the lines she decided that she was also going to let everybody know that she was a trump supporter and an anti-masker and a bunch of other stuff that all just like sort of started dogpiling on top of it and uh and now she's gone off to parlor to 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 be on that platform uh wait did she really for real or are you just being facetious no, that's for real. She, oh, she, oh. and she like announced it on her Twitter yeah. of yeah. like, of like, Hey, you can go follow me on parlor. Um, which for those who are unaware parlor is basically, uh, they, they, uh, they tout themselves as a free speech platform, but the reality is that it's a platform for people who've been kicked off of Twitter for violating the terms and service. Um, yes because they've they've used hateful rhetoric or hate speech um and so that's why it exists but then the conversation around it is oh well this is a place where you can speak freely without worry of getting kicked off of a platform um, i'm i'm literally doing first this of all right free now. speech doesn't doesn't apply to social media platforms because they're corporations it's not not the government so it's like yeah you're free to say whatever you want it's but it's the same as walking into a baskin robbins and saying something racist baskin robbins has every right to kick you out so uh it's no different we've talked about that before about how free speech in america is a little different than free speech in canada but um sorry people just put pronouns in your bio or do you put it in your actual name because i'm like literally like here uh, we're like talking about this and i'm kind of like yeah. no better time than right now is it okay in my some, bio some people some people put it in their screen name like in in their in their uh like the the yeah. display name like not your at but like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The i feel like name. i feel like it's okay in um, my bio because it's yeah it's absolutely okay in your bio and and the the point of that is is not to say that you are and I think this is where the miscommunication happens with some people. It's not to say that you are transgender or non-binary. 
it is to say like it's it's literally just to normalize the practice of, of, of like not assuming someone's gender yeah yeah ace a feeling feeling comfortable to state your gender uh yeah. and like your preference really it's and it's not even really about gender it's about pronoun preference which might not have anything to do with with like a, a gender identity it might just be some people might just want to be referred to as they them it, it that might just be the case so that's what it's about and it's about saying like hey this is this is okay like there's nothing there's nothing like because if it's only the people who feel like they are already marginalized or singled out doing it then it becomes a target but if we all yeah. do it then it becomes normalized and then who cares, right? Like it's, you know it just becomes a part of our, the way that we communicate who we are to other people, which to me is a very positive thing. It's no different than if you go and you look at my Twitter bio, it's got what I do. It's got the podcast that I host. It has uh, a Canadian flag and it's got, it's got my, my pronouns. Like it's, these are just ways of introducing myself to people that don't know me so that, uh, so that you know a little bit about me. And you don't have to ask the question of what are your preferred gender pronouns, right? I heard a story of someone being a great, like, deterrent for vitriol in the world by having a pin that had his pronouns on it. And someone Mm. came up and, like, was like, she is very pretty today. Don't you think you are so pretty? Right? And it's like somebody that just, like, purposefully misgendered them, even though they are not trans or non-binary. They just were wearing a pin. And you're like what kind of vitriolic a-hole do you have to be to go out of your way (laughs) to be a terrible human, right? And you're just kind of like, to be able to take some of that, right? I'll have that conversation with somebody on your behalf because, oh my gosh, can can you imagine like people that actually have to like to deal with that day after day and just the the terribleness in the world. So the least you can do is Gosh, we weren't well, supposed yeah. to be political or thunderquacky on this podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, we have to. We have to for this one. This is this yeah. is the way that it that yeah. it that it plays out. It's it it yeah. I, I mean, it what it comes down to. We talked about this a lot last week uh, when when Danny was on. It's 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 about empathy, right? Like mm-hmm. that's was that last week? I mean, Danny was on last week. Did I talk to her about? I don't I don't remember. Uh, but empathy is the is the key. It's the most important part of all of this um, is not necessarily thinking of it from your perspective, but thinking of it from the other person's perspective. And yeah, I mean, like, like you said, like I'm more than happy to have that conversation with somebody um, because I, I, I like, like, like my, my cisgender identity is not something to be worried about. Right. Like it like that's just uh, to a lot of people, it's considered the default, which which is the problem. But that's the way that it is right now. So that means that I have the privilege of not having to come from a place of any insecurity whatsoever to have that conversation with somebody of like, hey, why do you have your gender pronouns? It's like because I do like is what is why would it be a problem? And also let me educate you on why it should be normalized. Right. But imagine being in the shoes of a person who might be insecure or might have like a a body dysmorphia issue of like, they already, they already have this stuff going on in their head of like, and I, 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 I present this way, but inside I feel this way. And, and, you know, like, what can I do to, to, 
to counteract that so that I can feel right in my own skin. They're dealing with all of that. And then to have some jerk come up off the street and be like, Oh, blah, blah. Like what you said, like that I can't, I can't imagine what that would feel like, but I have to at least extend myself into a place of recognizing that I can't imagine what that feels like. And that's, that's sometimes the best empathy that we can have is to say, not to say like, oh yeah, I totally get what you're saying, but is to say, I can't relate to that, but I understand that that's difficult for you. And I like, I'm here, right? Like that's, that to me is the most important expression of empathy. Most often is to just say, I wish that it wasn't that way. And, or so that and people know that you're there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that as star Wars fans, I, uh, it, it's it's baffling to me the lens that I view Star Wars through. This stuff is not separate. This is not this is not something outside of Star Wars. It's certainly not outside of the ideology that George Lucas wanted to impart with his storytelling. Right. Um, look at who the good guys are and look at who the bad guys are in the original trilogy. The bad guys are a homogenous group of white men. Like, look at the original trilogy. It's all white men. It, it is I, I, just this, this monolithic group of, <laughs> yeah. of non-individuals, right? It's that idea of everybody must conform to the same ideology. And when you step outside of it, even when you are on that team, when you don't live up to the expectations of that team, Darth Vader will choke you from half a galaxy away. Right. <laughs> like that. Those are the bad guys. Those are the bad guys. And I know that the, the conversation about whether or not some people identify with those bad guys is a different conversation that we will have at a different time, but there are definitely neo-Nazis and white supremacists who identify with the empire and that's not cool. And that's a whole other thing. That doesn't mean that everybody who wears a 501st uniform is a white supremacist. It just means that there are definitely people who identify with the empire because of those reasons, because they like that stuff. That's a different thing. Look at the look at the rebels, though. Look at the rebel alliance, even from the first movie where there's not there aren't any aliens, really. Chewbacca is the only alien in the room. But as the as the saga goes on, we start to see as these these different groups come together and certainly by the time that we get to return of the jedi when george is able to do exactly what he wants with that story you look at that room and it's not just about uh, uh the heroes or or you know like background characters it's the fact that the the rebellion leadership consists of a woman <laughs> <laughs> which in 1983 was, uh, I think, probably a pretty big deal. Uh, like, cause she's the leader of the rebel Alliance. And then she like gives the floor to, uh, well, I guess, I guess general Maydean comes up as well. He's a guy with a beard. So <laughs> looking like a hipster, but then Admiral Akbar is there and he's going to lead the attack. He's the Admiral. He's the one who's, who's leading the, the, the fleet into that battle and he's he's an alien right and and the idea behind that the reason why george did it that way was 
the idea of like like this is what matters this is what freedom looks like freedom of expression and freedom to be yourself it like the alliance is diverse and and made up of groups of people from different backgrounds and different cultures because that's what real freedom looks like right and and like that's it's integral to the story and then beyond that this was so great i saw this the other day this will be like the last piece and then i'll get off my soapbox and maybe we'll get <laughs> no you won't but, but <laughs> i saw this the other day and i loved it because i never processed this but but it's i think it's from the the jw rinsler making of return of the jedi book um and there there's a there's a part in it where george talks about the aesthetic of the Mon Calamari cruisers and the idea that he wanted, like, like originally Richard Marquand was like, who actually directed Return of the Jedi. George just produced it. Right. Although it was sort of, it's a weird dynamic different from most stuff. He, he treated it more like a TV show. Um, it's, it works a lot like the way that, that um, Mandalorian works actually, where like the producers have a lot more say over, the aesthetics and the the overall direction of the show than the individual directors do who just come in to do an episode. Right. Um, so Richard Marquand had this idea of like, Oh yeah. And, and it's going to, the, the rebel command center is going to like on, on home one is going to be a really scrappy looking, like they've kind of pieced together tech from all these different places and they're coming together because, because we've got the Alliance all coming together. So we want to represent that. And George was like, no wrong not the way that we're going to do this. They need to have the most advanced technology uh, uh, that we've ever seen in star Wars. Like, like the, the, the Mon Cal cruisers are meant to be like the pinnacle of military technology at the time, even beyond the empire. And, and that's why they have like the sort of like sleek, Amanda, you might not know what I mean when I say Mon Cal cruisers, but the, the big fleet ships in Return of the Jedi that are the big, uh, like they're sort of the big surfboards with bubbles on them. I, Does that I make feel sense? Like, I feel like I've definitely seen them before in stuff that I, well, if like, if I, mean, I, if I had to point them out and I had to say like, that's yeah. a Mon Cal cruiser. Like I know, like the, the term Mon Cal the, cruiser is not like. Yeah. Like the, like the flagships. Right. And like they're, they're, the reason why they are that design where they look almost organic is because they're meant to a be like from a, from a water planet sort of origin. And then, and then it's supposed to look like they're more advanced than everybody else's stuff. Um, and that that idea that that it was meant to reinforce the idea that like no the rebels at this point they've got their act together right like like they've they have the right allies they have the right tools they have the backing of of the galaxy in this moment which is why when they defeat the emperor peace reigns over the galaxy it's not it's not like the empire still had a stranglehold on the galaxy like they did before the first death star right where like if they had defeated the emperor back then it may have been a a a more protracted battle afterwards but because the galaxy kind of after after alderaan was blown up the galaxy sort of started going like are wait are we the bad guys are we the bad guys for letting these imperials do whatever they want you know what because um, like, i'm pretty sure that that's genocide and it's not okay there is some cool stuff that touches on in this in this right the idea that no matter mm-hmm. what kind of an empire you have when you like get to the outer fringes of it you just sort of, they don't care who's in power you just sort of let them be yeah you can't control it. it yeah 
Yeah. So, Can I say so that all Wikipedia of... is like my favorite thing. Every time, <laughs> every time you look for something Star Wars. I love that you say Wookie in the same way that John Favreau pronounces Wookie as, uh, um, oh my God, why can't I ever remember his name when I want to bring him up? He's like my favorite character from Solo. Uh, he's, the f- for, he's the Ardinian. God, what's his name? Oh, I, yeah. I know John what Favreau's. species he is. Yeah, yeah, John yeah. Favreau's character. Um, and, yeah. But he says, he says, Rio, Rio Durant. He, yeah. he says Wookie. Right. And he says, oh, you, you never sleep better than, than curled up in a Wookiee's lap. And it's like, but what? Uh, how? Now you're making me think Wookie, that I'm Wookie. saying it wrong. Wookie like cookie. Wookie. But Wookie okay. like cookie. You just like said Wookiepedia. Wookie, but I feel like Wookiepedia sounds more like Wikipedia. I guess Wookiepedia. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is that podcast podcast thing all over again. It absolutely it. is. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going to let you get away with it. Um, <laughs> Anyways, all of that conversation to say that the idea of uh, of trans inclusivity is is core to Star Wars um, and like characters that don't conform to gender binaries are in Star Wars in the original trilogy. <laughs> like like it's th- these aren't these aren't weird concepts to bring in to this to this franchise uh, and then certainly when you get into the prequels, there's all sorts of representation in on Coruscant because it's a metropolitan city and it's meant to reflect that. Right. So we see all sorts of people when we, when we go to the, the, the sports bar in attack of the clones, right? Like, like there, there are all of these different environments, the, the opera house in revenge of the Sith, right. Where we see these, these incredibly diverse groups and the idea there is that before the empire, it was, it, it was great for everybody, right? I mean, it wasn't, but, but, <laughs> but there, but there was definitely like this idea of embracing the larger galaxy that went away once the emperor was in control. Um, I mean, Afghanistan is a really good example of that, right? That like in the sixties and seventies, the yeah. freedom that women had in Afghanistan was like paramount to the same that was like happening in like the feminist movements in North America. And when the Taliban came in, like people always just think of Afghanistan as this really repressive place, but institutions had to make it that way. Right. It wasn't always like that. And it's, yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So, so I'm no, but I mean like that's, that's, that's exactly it because George wrote this stuff into the movies. They're not a political films uh the prequels were about george bush he said it (laughs) right he said it out loud and what he said was like george bush is darth vader and dick cheney is the emperor he literally said those words i'm paraphrasing a little bit but he literally said those words so i didn't know that that's that's a pretty awesome i love hearing stuff like that like George Lucas was not apolitical, is not apolitical. He's not dead. He's still out there and he's still got <laughs> opinions and things still matter to him. And so for, for those people who want to say like, keep your politics out of star Wars. Um, no, <laughs> no star Wars is political. It's been political since the first movie when they're walking in and it's like, well, oh, the Senate won't sit still for this. Like what? Like, I didn't know what that meant when I was a kid, but that doesn't mean that it's not in the movie, right? Like it's, it's all a part of it. It's just, it was a little bit harder to read into in the original trilogy, but we definitely got the point in the prequels. 
<laughs> and we could have used a little bit more of it in the sequel trilogy, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it, it's a little bit. The sequels are a little bit too apolitical. They're a li- like it's they're too far removed from an actual message. Uh, I and and like in in general, I mean, the Last Jedi certainly isn't. The Last Jedi has a very anti-war, anti-warmongering uh, message in it. So. So that one's clear, but the other two, it's like, we don't even understand how the government works to know that it's been blown up. Um, (laughs) Anyways, I, I, so I will cap all of that off by saying, please go to GoFundMe and, uh, and, and donate to the trans rights or human rights. Uh, This is the way fundraiser and, uh, and just, you know, if, if, if this is, new information to you um i mean it shouldn't be if you've been listening to the podcast because we've talked about this on multiple occasions but let's say you just tuned in for the mandalorian you didn't listen to the stuff over the summer when a lot of this stuff was happening and you're hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time don't feel shame about it because feeling shame about not knowing this is a really great path to then i uh, i uh, getting defensive so don't don't when somebody i uh, let's say educates you on something like this or or you you find yourself in a situation where you've said the wrong thing and somebody uh, uh takes you to task for it don't feel shame about it say thank you and uh, and try and incorporate it into your into your thought process moving forward cuz that's that's the the way that we make the world a better place it's just it's not about being pc or uh, thought policing anybody it is literally about recognizing other people's feelings and trying to mitigate the damage that you do in your daily life that you didn't even know that you were doing that you certainly weren't doing on purpose um, as opposed to the, G- the reaction that Gina Carano had which was to double down in this defensive posture and really just make things worse Um Rather than I, because I I firmly believe that Gina Carano doesn't have a problem with gen- transgender people, like I I don't think that that's what's going on here. I think that she started getting harassed by people online for the she's things on that some she sort did. of weird crusade she doesn't understand, and I feel like and a yeah, lot and of so people yeah, she's she's, that, like, she's doubled down on this, and yeah. it's. I don't know, which is the same. The same can be said about J.K. Rowling. She's on some sort of weird t- crusade that she doesn't quite understand the negative yeah. ramifications of, and it's just like you can you can have all the best of intentions of trying yeah. to do something that you feel is important and speaks to something that you're excited that you like are passionate about. It doesn't mean that you should because you're doing it at the expense of like a whole bunch of other stuff and yeah. like the negativity it's like if you're putting more negative into the world than positive the good place has a story for you <laughs> yeah so. i think i think i think that people just have to have a little bit of forgiveness on both sides of it and and allow each other to grow um and understand the perspective of the of, of other people um that's not to say like you know we should have centrist opinions on things and just not pick a side but but it is to say uh, you, you uh, choose the side of the oppressor if you do that uh yeah well yeah i uh, sometimes sometimes when you're on the right side you have to have the compassion to understand that the people who aren't uh, don't realize how far gone they are because of the way that they've been raised or the groups that they've 
they've uh, uh, like ingratiated themselves with. And so they're getting reinforced in the wrong direction. They're getting bad ideas. Um, and, you know, all, like all, all we can do is talk about it and say our piece and do our best to educate uh, and, and be open and empathetic and, and compassionate to other people. And, uh, and, and if people choose to double down on the negative side of things, then, then we just, it's, it's not about canceling. It's just about like cutting that off. It's about not giving that a mouthpiece. So unfollowing Gina Carano is the best thing that you can do if you don't agree with her opinions. Um, let her spin off into that world. I hope that she doesn't. I hope that at some point when people can be in rooms together again, <laughs> like when they, when they start filming season three, that, that Pedro really has a conversation with her and says, Hey, you're doing yourself a lot of disservice by, by digging in on this and you could just apologize because <laughs> that's yeah. that's really all anybody was asking for was an apology and 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 for her to to listen um to what their problems were and instead we got what we got so and all of that to say uh we like this episode don't be <laughs> mad at us for it or get yeah. mad at us for us and to tell us like what parts we shouldn't have liked and we can see if we should apologize for them yeah of what we missed we miss a lot. There's there's beautiful things. I don't know. I've just been watching Twitter and I feel like um Misha Misha Collins just said something like about his his appearance and I feel like within the course of 2 hours he's already apologized for it being like, "Hey, tell me what I said wrong." Like it's cuz he was genuinely trying to I think talk about. He's like, "Oh, it looks like this has been misinterpreted. Here's what it actually means." And I'm just so curious to go back and see what that is, but the best people on the internet are ones that can say something and then apologize for it if you get new information. So I just think that that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Grow and change. Just like cool. Star Wars has over the past 50 years. Yeah. Speaking of. Okay, let's get into this. Chapter 12, The Siege, uh, directed by Carl Weathers and written by John Favreau. Uh, I'll start off here. The Razor Crest limps through space as Din Djarin and the child attempt to repair it. The child is deep inside the ship's systems, doing their best to follow Mando's instructions. The task is ultimately too confusing for the diminutive mechanic as they short out the ship's systems in a puff of smoke. Resigned, the Mandalorian and his charge enjoy some broth together in the crest hold. Briefly revealing his mouth in order to eat, the child tries to sneak a peat at his protector's true face. The ship is in bad shape, and they won't make it all the way to Corvus without proper repairs. They're headed back to Navarro. Um, this was the most wholesome and wonderful <laughs> and beautiful uh, uh, beginning to an episode uh, I just, of The Mandalorian. I love that I, the show The Mandalorian is about a dude and his charge finding their way across yeah. the galaxy. Yeah. It's just it's 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 space Batman and Robin, right? It's it's just Yes, I love it's, it. I love so many things about the Mandalorian. I love that it doesn't hesitate on the action. It goes all the way mm-hmm. um, when it, when it wants to do that. It, it lives deep inside star Wars lore, which is always great. Um, it's funny as heck. And, uh, and it's weird. It's so weird. And I love how <laughs> weird it is, but I think the thing 
that I love the absolute most about this show is that it's not afraid to get soft and to, and to give you warm fuzzies, which when we were going into the Mandalorian before it came out and everybody was talking about it and all of these hypotheticals and people were saying, Oh, this is going to be the game of Thrones of star Wars. I was not in because I'm done with that stuff. I am so tired of uh, unlikable anti-heroes and worlds in which there are no right answers and good doesn't win. All of that stuff is nauseating to me at this point. That said, a show like The Boys is still a fantastic show that I love watching. But (laughs) but I also the the boys does have Huey and Huey is the, the antithesis of that. And that's why that show works for me. That's why that story works for me because he is the soft chewy center uh, inside all of that, that horrible, horrible terribleness uh, of of that world. Right. And his, his soft chewiness in spite of that, but the Mandalorian like lives on it. It it's it it is absolutely the heartbeat of this show is these little moments and this opener is just solid. It's just it's just solid, uh, wonderful, heartwarming family moments with these two characters, showing how far their relationship has come, showing what like how how much it has developed, um, to the point where like. Mando's never taken his helmet off in front of another living being, but he's comfortable enough with the child to just crack it, just crack it to have a little bit of his suit. Right. Um, And, and, and we get that visual storytelling that this show is so good at that, that confirms for us that the child has never seen his face because he wants to (laughs) and we get that like it's all communicated to us that he kind of leans and he just gives that quizzical little curious look to see because he just wants to see din's face um and just the whole thing like from start to finish on the on this scene with inside the inside the little uh, i'm gonna use a star trek term the jeffrey's tube i uh where i i a Jeffrey's tube is a is it's a Star Trek thing. It's oh there. okay okay. <laughs> there are corridors inside the ship where they go and they can do maintenance and stuff. Okay, um, it, which is what like it's it, you're not you're clearly not supposed to go down into that part of the ship, right? Like <laughs> you're not supposed to be able to do that. I'm sure that you're supposed to either dismantle something or have a tool to do this for you. Um, but because he's got the kid, he's like. I have an idea. You go in there, you do this. And it, and it is absolutely, uh, it's a simple enough task as long as you can communicate, but, but the child is the child. uh, A baby. Yeah. And so, so they, we, we, we tend to say he assuming that the child is a boy. I know, but you keep Um, saying they, which I like. But I did write it into the recap Mm -hmm. as they, I was very careful about it because I think that we might find out. I think we might even find out this week uh, Ooh, really? that 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 uh, the child is is not male and is in fact female, because um, I think if we if we see a certain someone this week, uh, she might have some insight that that nobody else has had yet. So, mm. um, you think we're gonna see a certain someone this week? 
I believe so. I mean, like that's what all signs are pointing to it. So, um, yeah, Dave Filoni wrote and directed the episode that's coming up. So cool. That that's a very strong indicator that we'll be seeing. There's no, we don't need to beat around the bush. They said her name in the previous episode, Ahsoka Tano, right? We're gonna say it in this one. So, um, do you think Ashley Eckstein will play her? I uh, no, we already know that she doesn't. Oh really? It, oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. It, it, for 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 those who don't know, Amanda is a very big Star Wars fan, but uh, lives outside of the Star Wars <laughs> bubble. Um, and so I, where the rest of us are, are, uh, have feelings about Rosario Dawson, potentially, probably most likely playing Ahsoka Tano next Oh, week. I mean, that's exciting. Uh, yeah. Okay. So not to get back into the topic that we were just oh, in, sorry, but there was a lot of, no, no, no. There was a lot of controversy around, around Rosario Dawson about a year ago. Oh. And I, 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 a contractor that was working for her um, to, to renovate. I don't know if it was her house or her parents' house or it's, it's, uh, I don't, I don't have all the details. It's very confusing. You'd have to have it in front of you in order to get it. 100% oh, okay. right, oh man. When I type um, in Rosa, I go to type Rosa and it, it comes up Rosario Dawson Ahsoka. So I didn't, I didn't realize that, I guess. She yeah. Um, so there was a whole thing where like the, her, contractor came out to to her like to rosario dawson's family as being transgender and i uh, i and then apparently a bunch of stuff happened um and this the 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 contractor i i filed lawsuits press charges oh. on a whole bunch of different stuff but then very quietly over the summer uh, all but two of the charges were dropped and the expectation is that the whole thing's just going to disappear. Um, they were voluntarily dropped and the, the, the indication is that it wasn't, it's, it was, there was no like uh, settlement outside of court. And, and the biggest thing that sort of points to all of this being very suspicious, which is as far as I'll go, cause I don't want to make a judgment on like if, if if someone feels that they've been abused or wronged, then they absolutely deserve their day in court and, and they should, they have every right to press charges. And, and so I reserve judgment until that process is over. The thing that makes this all suspicious to me though, is that, that the, the person pressing charges, their uh, lawyer that, that was initially part of this dropped out of it, like, like walked away from the case. And that says to me that there's something else going on. There's some, there's, there's more to the story than that initial report that we got like a year ago. The other thing is that a lot of people who who've worked with Rosario Dawson and know her have stood up for her publicly and said, this doesn't, this doesn't fit with who we know this person to be that you take that for what it's worth. Character, testimony is what it is um it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything but it might be an indicator of some stuff um the, the the other part of it is that rosario dawson is a huge advocate for lgbtqia plus rights so she's also so cool and i'm now looking at all these images that are mostly fan made but i yeah. feel like she would make a great okay, I, anyways i am excited <coughs> to, to see yeah. ahsoka in live action I feel that Ahsoka should have been played by Ashley Eckstein. I think that she should have at least had the opportunity to audition for the role. She wasn't given that opportunity. Um, 
that so, that that to me is really upsetting because she does have a certain ownership of that character. She's also white. She's also white. That's that I was literally I mean, about to say that. The but, other part of that that conversation is that Ahsoka Tano's design is very clearly black. <laughs> she 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 has features that that a lot of African American Star Wars fans, a lot of Black Star Wars fans, identify with that character for that reason. Um, that's a, that's mean, a really big part of the fan culture. Um, go listen to Sisters with Sabers if you want to get deep into this with people who are much more qualified to have the conversation and and have a lot more to say about it than than I think Amanda and I do. But but just to <laughs> echo them and support what they're saying, it's like that's the that's the there's there's a clear inspiration there and although she was voiced by a white person that doesn't necessarily mean that she wasn't meant to be uh represented as a person of color uh and and but and regardless she's sort of been adopted but uh, in that also- sense so rosario dawson is a good fit in that respect and 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 a positive that's a positive thing right? and holistically for the show bo katan yeah. was played by the voice actor was it not yes yeah, so it's like you yeah. you you win some, you lose some. I feel like in terms of like yeah. if they were they were made, they made the right choice, it's, like it's, stylistically. It's tough because it's tough because Ashley has owned that character from its inception, right? Like yeah. Yeah. she was cast very early on. She's the only the only performer that we've ever known to play the character of Ahsoka Tano. Um, actually, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true. Maybe in one of the video games or something, somebody else did the voice work, but but I don't think that would be the case because she is primarily a voice actor. So I don't know why she wouldn't play the character. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was very clear that over the last couple of years, when it started to become a reality that Ahsoka would show up in live action, Ashley started training, right, Aww. and. I and she got she she's gotten really fit over the last couple of years and when that news came out when it got leaked that 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 apparently Rosario Dawson had been cast she was really upset and really hurt by it and I totally get it and I feel for her on that because that when you have that ownership of a character oh see yeah that's like the Scooby-Doo thing too like come on when people have owned characters for a really long time at least you got to do is like tell them that there's like they shouldn't Other find things. out from shouldn't find a out rumor leaking, way. right? You're talking about yeah. Matthew Lillard? Yeah, with, they shouldn't find Shaggy. out from like rumors yeah. rumors leaking that somebody else is going to take over a character that is so iconic to that, them. Yeah, that broke yeah. my heart with Scoob. Yeah, because I, know, I yeah. think Matthew Lillard, he loves that character and he loves having played and that character. And so like, yeah, he's so like yeah. eponymous with that. Yeah. We have anyway. not gotten through half of this. No. No, but, but no. that's okay because because that conversation was going to come up at the end of this episode anyway. Okay. So now we just did it. We just did it out of order. Okay, good. Do I, I'm going to keep going, okay? Because you I go ahead and do the thing. next paragraph. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, underneath the city, a crew of Aqualish have set up shop in the former hideout of the Mandalorian covert. While the squatters argue among themselves, their meal is interrupted by the arrival of Cara Dune, now the Marshal of Navarro. She makes short work of the four criminals. As she gathers up the stolen goods, Kara's new furry friend shows their thanks for being rescued. Hey, look at you having those gender-neutral pronouns all the way through. <laughs> hey, I love it. I can't go into the show and pull up the skirt of that I know. little. It's, it's uh, great. I love it. Here, right? So I'm not. I'm gonna. Yeah, this is, language is important, everybody. It is. Um, it's great. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so this is where, uh, this is where the, the, the conflictedness begins, right? Because in any other circumstance, I would have been cheering during this scene. That yeah, to me then, yeah. is the most upsetting part of it is that all of the work that everybody did from top to bottom on this, including Gina Carano, is excellent. And a huge shout out to the puppeteer who worked that lava meerkat. We don't have a name <laughs> for that species yet. But that thing, the way that it like nuzzles her and everything, it's so good. And her acting has definitely jumped up a notch from season one to season two. She's clearly been working on it. I want to love her. I want to because I love this character. I love what she represents. I love just like the visual appeal of her in in the world. It, there's There's so much of it that I love. And then it's just, it's so hard to get past the things that she's done recently. And I don't know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than every time I watch Disney's Hercules and James Woods is awesome as Hades. He's so good as Hades. That is one of the best Disney villains of all time. James Woods is a garbage human being. He's a horrible person and he should just be shot into the nearest star. Wow. Like it, he, not, he's a, he's that. an awful person. He's a, he's like, a, he's one of the hardcore Republican Trump supporters. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I say hardcore, he's like one of the like lock her up, uh, put people in cages because they're illegals. Right. Like he's like, he's said some really, really awful stuff over the last five years. Um, but Hades, but but Hades is still an incredible performance. He's like the hard way is still a great movie. Like it's I, I have a really hard time with it. I have a very I, I will say I, it is one of those things where it's a little bit easier for me when actors you just like stop hiring them after a while. They're replaceable and the characters yeah. are not, which yeah, I mean not to not to get into it, but I it I heard that Mads Mickelston is gonna be cast as Grindelwald in uh the next yeah incarnation of which i'm kind of like uh yeah so anyways there's a certain amount of like character that you can like separate a certain character from anyway yeah and so and so i think i think with time it's going to become easier and i think and i i just i hold out hope that eventually someone's going to get through to her and she is going to come out and say oh i get it now (laughs) you know yeah yeah yeah, just like like uh you know i because i think that things this year have just been rough for everybody yeah. so yeah. anyways i uh, i'll continue here i the razor crest arrives on navarro looking worse for wear and is greeted by grief carga and cara dune say that 10 times fast greeted <laughs> by grief carga and cara dune at the city's gate although the crest is in need of repairs navarro appears to be bustling and better than ever uh, Mando inquires about about the repairs, and Grief assures him that they'll work something out, uh, setting his best men to work on the beleaguered ship. Grief greets the child, glad to see them looking healthy. This was another one of those moments where it's like, like this show is not afraid to get a little bit soft. No, and Grief, yeah. who was previously the guy uh, running the Bounty Hunters Guild <laughs> out of a bar is now <laughs> greeting this little baby with like, as, as if he's like there, it's grandpa. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. He's like, he's really like, oh, cute. there's my, yeah. there's my little one. Right. Um, and it, it's just great. And he, and he, and he takes the kid and he like for the rest of this scene until they get to the school, grief is the one carrying the child, which is such a, they have such an interesting, like, like family unit that they've built with these, these four characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, through their through their trials right and and it's funny because grief was ready to to betray the mandalorian last season right like he was this guy yeah 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 yeah, like and 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 he's and he's turned completely around and i still attribute that to um when 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 the child heals grief on the lava flats after they get get attacked by the pterodactyl things. Oh yeah, because he's like, hey, uh... <laughs> I don't. I th- I think it's more than just like a like a oh wow, you saved my life now. Like I see you as precious. I think that there is a little bit of a a spiritual transfer that happens there because what we know of force healing oh, is that interesting is that it's ray explains it in 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 rise of skywalker she gives a little bit of her her spirit her force energy in order to heal so it 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 actually hurts her we see it like the child passes out from it right right yeah um, yeah, yeah ben solo dies <laughs> in order to bring ray back to life uh-huh. right yep. so we know that there's that there's a dynamic there of of a transfer and what what effect would that have on someone's let's use a D and D term here, their alignment, right? Would it take right. him from a, a, a lawful neutral character uh, to a lawful good character? It looks like that's what it did because now he's like Lando. He's now the administrator of this facility, right? Like he's, he's become the leader of, of this settlement on Navarro to the point where like everything that he's doing, he's doing in, in the aims of, of setting this up as, as a, a, a flourishing society, which, which I think is really interesting. Um, it's, it's a really cool piece of, again, just like n- subtextual narrative that's going on that, that nobody says any of this stuff, but it is all right there. It's not open to interpretation. It is a hundred percent clear. Right. Um, I just love it. I love I love the way that they've developed these characters through their actions, not by saying, "Wow, grief, you sure have turned over a new leaf," right? But just <laughs> I mean, that's by just terrible storytelling in any. Yeah, yeah. But so many things, <laughs> Arrow, are definitely guilty <laughs> of that sort of storytelling, right? Like it's it's there's a lot of shows. Crystal was watching Scandal before I came in to record this episode. And there are a lot of characters who say what they're feeling uh, on that show. Uh, Or more often than not, another character telling a character how they're feeling um, as, (laughs) as is the case with the, the, the uh, Shonda Rhimes television programs. Um, A lot of, a lot of yelling confrontations on those shows. I just, the drama, the drama, Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, I much prefer this more subtle, subdued storytelling style uh, uh, where, you know, we're not treated as if we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But yeah, go- the, but this, the city is looking amazing. And uh, uh, there's there's a lot of things if you compare it to season one, it's 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 sort of reborn 
Um, and the last time we saw it, it was a smoking pile. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, you want to continue? I do. Um, as they walk through the now busy streets, the trio catch up. Marshall Dune has been working hard to clean up the system, while grief has been steeped in clerical work. When asked about the damage to the Razor Crest, Dinan replies that he had a run-in with some New Republic officers. Grief is annoyed by their presence in the Outer Rim. The Empire couldn't settle it. What makes them think they can? Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's just more of sort of what we were talking about. But yeah. this idea that that um, the New Republic has this, has this sort of... Uh, uh, colonizer attitude uh, right and it, like this is all these are all very like old west um uh we, like the western sort of genre tropes going on here of like oh you know the the east coast thinks that they you know like they make all the decisions but uh, in the west you know they, they they couldn't last five seconds out here <laughs> on the frontier sort of thing right like it like that's the idea of the outer rim um but i really like it because it because it does sort of show um and we'll get into it in a second, but it's the idea of, of real freedom. Um, and it actually, it, I think it actually points towards what the future of the star Wars galaxy is post rise of Skywalker. And I think that this is a little bit of retconning or not retconning, but like Dave Filoni attempting to um, make lem- lemonade out of lemons because the, <laughs> the, the state of the galaxy after rise of Skywalker is a weird thing where it's like, well, their central government has now been blown up three times in the last two generations. <laughs> right. Like, cause it was the old Republic that got blown up and taken over by the empire. The empire got blown up and then the new Republic comes in and then the new Republic gets blown up. And so it's just, is it lawlessness or do we just go back to a system of letting the systems govern themselves? Right. Um, and, and yeah, so I, th- I think that like grief has, has the right idea, but it's whether or not that sort of a system can last um, because it's a, it creates a power vacuum and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that we don't need to get into that in this episode. Uh, I'll continue to this next part because this is pretty great. Uh, the group arrives at the former den of the Imperial client that originally set the bounty on the child. The building now houses a school and class is in session. Grief sets the child down in one of the desks, igniting whispers and excitement among the other children. Mando protests, but Kara assures him that they'll be safe. Where they're headed is no place for a child. I... Uh, a school in Star Wars. The only other time we've seen an uh, educational setting is uh, first in in the Jedi Temple, uh, and then uh, on Kamino with the clones. Those are the only other schools that we've ever seen. So this is a real school. We gotta we gotta mention in the first episode of the season of of the school right in the in the little outpost uh, on Tatooine. Okay. Um. Yeah. He he sort of uh, I I Cobb when he's trying to convince everybody to let the oh the, right the yeah, Tuskins yeah. help them. He's like, it's only a matter of time before it comes back and you know goes after the school or whatever. I. But uh, yeah, but really cool to see this because this is a part of the galaxy that we just we just don't get to see in Star Wars. Um. And and it just it's it's a little taste of 
peaceful life. And I think it, it, it represents something really special that, that cantina, that abandoned cantina was previously, it was where Din almost died at the end of last season. Right. Like it was blown up and then lit on fire. Right. Like, like that was a, that was a scary place last season. And now we come back and it's, it's uh, bright and warm and and these children are sitting enjoying or at least quietly in their class bright and warm i feel like it's like make do with the places that you have but i get i get what you mean i absolutely saw it as bright and warm certainly compared to what it looked like before like the the serenity have you seen like the firefly movie the serenity there's like the there's you never watch serenity okay anyways well breeze past that but in it there's a school in it and it like has the same sort of like the teacher with this weird blackboard that's see-through with stuff on it yeah. and i'm kind of like why do people think in science fiction that that's the type of i just i don't know i feel like touch screens because yeah, because we like because we have that technology to to yeah. write on a glass board now and we yeah. choose not to do it because you can't read it yeah um, i know right? it's, it's not like, useful yeah come on there's no, better technology it's just it's just the star wars aesthetic right it's, um it's but and, and one of the wonderful things is that the lesson that the protocol droid is teaching is an actual like that's something you could actually learn like you can you can look up what she was talking about Nice. Uh, uh, which is really cool. They were talking about the five major hyperspace lanes, um, yeah. and and the 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 two that are mentioned are the Corellian Run and the Hydean Way. Um, I was which uh, for it, a there minute, are maps you can crack them open and you can see that those are like there's 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 Star Wars lore to back this up. I was I was gonna really say cool. there's it's Star Wars lore stuff that you can learn though it's not like real. I was like oh she's teaching <laughs> real things. That you could no, look I forgot what I was like. Wasn't she teaching Star Warsy things? But no, that's cool. Star Wars like is it. real. Uh, Star Wars is as real as anything. I've never been to India, but I know it exists. It's I mean, there, okay, right? uh, okay. Blowing right Star- past that, I'm gonna pick up my part here in the most dramatic, <laughs> in the most dramatic part of this whole rundown. I think I just glanced ahead, and it feels okay. I'm gonna try to do this with a straight face. <clears throat> As the class settles down, the child spots a student snacking on some very blue cookies. They politely request one, but the villain sat across from the child callously refuses. Undeterred, the child uses the force to retrieve the packet of treats, putting the student in their place. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of editorializing in that snippet. <laughs> a little I tried bit, to, a little bit. I try to remain pretty pretty uh, removed from it most of the time. I but, thought that uh, you... That the the child was the jerk in that situation, so I just <laughs> that is it. absolutely the sure. case. That <laughs> is absolutely the case. But at the same time, at the same time, kid, you got a whole sure. packet of no, these sure. of these little yeah. uh, macarons. Like, yeah. sh- give the kid one, share one. Well, then you have right? to share with the whole class because that is there's like definitely a thing about like. No, there's a dynamic of this weird little green new kid <laughs> is sat next to you. You're snacking away on your delicious cookie. And and he's like, hey, man, can I have one? And you go like, oh, you're the new kid. Here you go. Right. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a decent thing to do. And then when your buddy behind you is like, how come you never get me cookies? They go, because because if I did, you just new. eat all of my cookies. Like. Yeah. This is the new kid. I got to be nice to the new kid. But instead, this this child looks at him and uh, or looks at them, I should say, 
and just just I, I don't even know. I, I I attribute a lot of this to this this kid's performance. He's very neutral through the whole thing, and it's yeah. like you can really go either way with this. I don't know what this kid is thinking, and and I I feel like maybe we could have gotten a couple more takes in order to 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 really like sort of nail what we were trying to get across on this. But that's okay. It's, it's child actors, you know. We got we got a, we got a room full of them. That you sometimes you just got to get the shot and move on. Uh, the the point was made and the kid the the child gets the cookies and get the cookies uh, which, which come back great, later which i just a great love. runner later in the episode i just yeah. love it yeah uh upon arriving at karga's office the trio are greeted by the mithril a f- familiar face to dinjarin the mithril was previously taking care of karga's books before he skipped out on him with some of the former magistrate's money He's now working for Karga to pay back the debt he owes. But on to business. The Razor Crest repairs are going to take a while, and Grief and Kara could use Mando's help clearing out the last stragglers in a nearby Imperial base. So uh, Mithril was the first bounty that we saw, right? Um, I, played by Horatio Sands. Uh, and I, I, I like this little bit of retconning here where we get the explanation of like, well... I'm the one who set the bounty on this. Like, I feel like that would have come up yeah. before of like, yeah. <laughs> of like, Oh, you got Mithril. Good. He owes me a lot of money. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Mithril, yeah. I should say his name is not Mithril. He is the Mithril. People don't, oh, have you don't know what his show. name is. No, we don't know what a lot of characters names are. Uh, they're just referred to by their species or frog lady in some cases. Um, Okay. Yeah, I but yeah, I I like this. I like this character coming back. I know that it's it's something that rubs some people the wrong way. They don't like this character. I happen to love Horatio Sands from back in the day when he was on SNL. I love him in pretty much everything he's ever done, and uh, and I love him in this. So I always have to Google these people because I'm not quite sure <laughs> who they are. And then when I see them, I'm like, oh, it's this person. He's in a he's in a movie with uh with Jerry O'Connell that uh I believe is called Tomcats. Um <laughs> I have to I double check watched, this. I mean I'm not I'm not super familiar with Oh yeah, yeah no he is. you're right, it's Tomcats, yeah. Yeah, uh, Jerry O'Connell is the lead and Shannon Elizabeth is the romantic interest in that one. And Jake Busey is his uh uh his romantic rival and Horatio Sands plays the best friend. I have the, like seen in this none raunchy of the romantic romantic comedy. Uh Tomcats is not a good movie, <laughs> but I absolutely love it. Um and that's because I love Jerry O'Connell and Horatio Sands. So um yeah I mean like I'm willing to watch certain actors in anything that they do. I really don't care. Uh, and Horatio Sands is one of those characters. But I think that he does a great job. He really I get why some people didn't like him in the first episode of the series in the premiere. I get it. I, he's it's, it's a little bit, he's a little bit of a weird character. I feel like he really redeems that, or at least he should redeem that for those people in this episode. Cause I think that his comedic beats in this are 100% on point. I, <laughs> Right from this intro where they walk in and he does like the little like he he has like his his uh, defensive response where the mist comes out. Um, I don't know. The thing is, is that there's certain humor. The thing that I like about the Mandalorian is that they're adding 
something for everybody. And like this, the kind of humor that he serves, like that character yeah. is not my type of humor, but I understand and appreciate its place in this world. So that's all I'll say about that. I'm going to move on to this next <laughs> sequence. <Yeah. laughs> The base is running a skeleton crew, but for some reason, the Empire hasn't abandoned it. If they can clear it out, Navarro will finally be safe. It could even become a trade anchor for the entire sector. Mando agrees to help. They set off toward the base with Mithril driving the speeder. He's worried about getting too close to the base, but grief convinces him with a very one-sided deal. Uh, I'll continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah do it yeah. do it, or else. Or, I mean, that's yeah. pretty much what he says. Yeah. Uh, they arrive at a turbo lift at the base of the installation. The controls are fried from the heat of the lava flats, so they'll need to find another way to get access. As the mithril attempts to break into the control panel, Mando jets off toward the platform. Moments later, a stormtrooper slams into the ground in front of them, followed by the turbo lift doors opening. <laughs> yeah. You can I'm keep, just going. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. At the top of the lift, Mando stands among several downed troopers. The base isn't as abandoned as once thought. They need to shut down the cooling vents, and then the lava will take care of destroying the base for them. The Mithral stops next to an Imperial transport, remarking on its condition and value. Unfortunately, it's about to get vaporized, like the rest of the base. Uh, it, this is such a great Chekhov's gun that they set up, where he's like, oh, yeah. whoa, get a load of this beauty. And then it's yeah. like, the second that he does that, you're like, okay, that's going to be important later. <laughs> like, that is clearly how they're going to get away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, I, I like the pace of this. It, it, the, the dialogue is really snappy. I think Carl Weathers did a really great job directing this, um, and and keeping it moving. Um, and he's got Carl Weathers is an action star. I mean, he's he's Apollo Creed. He's whatever his character's name was was in Predator. I he's I Apollo know. Creed. Yeah, you didn't know that he's Apollo Creed. I mean, I haven't watched Rocky, so. <laughs> Okay. At least you know that the character is from Rocky. Right, yeah. I, I mean, it's, but I like I know the name yeah, Apollo. I have yeah, no he's idea. Apollo Creed. Cool. But but he's also he's also I I I Chubbs in I Happy Gilmore. And he's also himself in Arrested Development. Oh, no way, really. Nice. He is a brilliant comedic actor. Uh, okay. cool. I, in my opinion, I think that Carl Weathers is capable of just about anything, given given uh, proper direction. Um, he's he's one of those actors that I think is very versatile, but he needs the right director to work with. Cool. It's really funny to me that in this episode, he gives one of I think his best performances on this show so far, and he's, <laughs> he's directing, directing himself. himself. <laughs> nice. I but but he also he also plays grief very naturally in yeah, this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think like because he's so familiar with the material being that he's also the director, it's just it's there. He's not reading it five minutes before. Like, like I don't mean like for the first time, but like, no, like but reading off the page to like, OK, OK, OK. And then going into the scene, I think he came into this knowing his lines and everybody else's lines because he has to as the director. Right. But it, especially as so a director performing on screen at the same time. I mean, that's the weird part to me is that of all the episodes that they could have gotten him to direct this season, they yeah. specifically chose one with him in it. Which... The grief episode? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, yeah. okay, cool. Like, it's just a, such an interesting choice of, of like, but, obviously it happened for a reason. So, like. Yeah, I think, I, 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 I think, I think he got this one for that reason. I think, I think that, that, 
whatever conversations they had that led to him getting to direct this episode, that that was very much part of it. Um, and it was, I think it was very much like, Hey, when we get to an episode, that's got some good action, some good suspense and a lot of important comedic timing, let me know. Right. Like, I, th- I think that yeah. that was sort of the thing. Cause, cause it is this, this episode absolutely lives or dies by like the snappiness of it of like, cause, cause in order to keep the suspense up, in order to keep the action up, we have to keep moving. We have to constantly be moving through this facility, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it, it's not going to feel dangerous, right? Um, and then along with that, you have to have these one-liners that happen um, and and these these moments, these great moments that, that you can call back to. And and he nails both of those things. It's a, it's a very uh, 80s action movie I, I like sort of motif going on with the like, like, you know, you've got your one badass in the Mando that that uh, can do anything and really is invincible and never gets stopped. And then you've got you got like your muscle uh, in in Cara Dune, you've got the the commander in it's it's an A-team episode, actually. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't put this together before. Nice. This is absolutely yeah. just an A-team episode. Um <laughs> Because then you've got your wisecracker with, man, wow, I feel like I just unlocked that one. I guarantee <laughs> you this came up. I guarantee oh, you this course. was yeah, part Yeah, I mean, it would be inspirational it. for sure. Yeah, because especially like that they get into the transport. It's basically a van. It's basically a van, which that's the whole A-team thing going on right there. So, yeah, uh, it like that's the dynamic that they needed. And who better to direct that episode than... Carl Weathers, who like is part of the reason that that type of storytelling exists in the first place. Like he's, he's a, he's a pillar of eighties action in that way. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's a, it's a natural fit obviously because the episode works really well. Um, is it my turn? I, it's I'm it up, right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Inside the crew cautiously makes their way to the command room, incapacitating the officer on duty. Uh, Mando scrambles all the security as grief retrieves a code cylinder from the officer. They've located the heat shaft, but almost run into a squad of stormtroopers. They use the code cylinder to gain access to the shaft and grief volunteers the mithril to step out onto the reactor controls and shut it down. Uh, mithril protests, citing the lack of a guardrail, but he <laughs> manages to shut it down, setting off a chain reaction. They have 10 minutes to get out before the base explodes. What a great trope. I love it. And I love, <laughs> I love when he's like, there isn't even a guardrail. It's like, it's cause in star Wars, there's never a guardrail, especially in the Imperial <laughs> facilities, right? Like it's always this weird bridge over a chasm where it's like, why does this chasm exist? Why is there a chasm here? Can't you guys, why does the bridge need to extend? Can you not just build like a tunnel across this? I like it just Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's pretty Star much, Wars. Much, it's part of the much. aesthetic. But yeah. to have a character call it out was was so fun. It's great. It's great. Uh, okay. Yeah, and then and then the ticking clock. The ticking clock that doesn't actually mean anything cuz the rest of this episode before they get out of here I think is longer than 10 minutes, but I, it also is like yeah, it's a weird. It's like an arbitrary ticking clock to me too for the yeah. I definitely yeah. thought somebody was going to die or get left behind, but I guess that's not this kind of show. So, which yeah. I don't, which I like. It's false 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 uh stakes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
I'll go to the next one. On their way out, the crew the crew detours to avoid a squad of stormtroopers and stumbles upon two lab technicians purging the data drives of the facility. They've accidentally discovered a laboratory conducting some very disturbing genetics experiments. The mithril slices into the console, revealing a transmission log of Dr. Pershing. It seems the Imperials have been using the blood harvested from the child in some kind of experiments, but their efforts have been failing, and they need more genetic material to continue. As Pershing signs off, he mentions Moff Gideon, leading Mando to believe the recording is old. As far as they know, Gideon is dead, but the recording is three days old. Uh, oh, the siren's siren. on our end, uh, by the way, if you're me. listening to this in the car. Do you want me to do uh, the thing again? So that like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that work. <laughs> that is... That's a, it's a, it's, that's a lot more time to like, cut <laughs> instead and, you just have to deal together. with the siren. I tried to try, I was trying, I could hear it coming and I was like, I wonder if I can get through this fast enough and then mute myself, but I could not. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I, it, it, something occurred to me as, as you were reading that, um, being that you are a big star Wars fan who does not live inside the star Wars universe, like some of us do, mm-hmm. cause you don't really like do the books or anything like that. Right. Like the expanded I, universe. Not really. Movie. No, I've, I've read the novelization of the last Jedi, yeah. but like, I don't really, when, I'm not. Yeah. When it says that the mithril slices into the console, you understand that to be the star Wars version of hacking, right? Uh, no, I actually, okay, that's, that's that, that is something that I don't know enough because I'm not like, yeah. From a, I actually straight up I, when I read it because because I'm sort of I'm like reading I'm like super cold reading this I'm trying to like read it while you're reading your paragraph I'm trying to read the next paragraph I'm really sorry um but like I re- I was like did I read that right when did he slice what did he slice and then I was like as I <laughs> yeah. as I did that like as my brain clicked I was like oh Amanda it's something alien that you don't understand it's so a like Star I, like I, so I so I got it that it's a Star Warsism yeah. but it it like when I said it I was like did I miss something that happened but. Yeah, it literally it's it it's it's just the Star hacking. Wars word for hacking. I'm so um, sorry that Star Wars fans have to listen to me on this week's episode of Fast and More Intense. <laughs> no. These I are do... dumb things. These yeah. are dumb things. And 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 a Star Wars fan who gets mad at you for that is a gatekeeper. Okay. Uh, and it's like like look, I don't enjoy it any less because I don't understand what slicing is. It's not to say that I would not give you a hard time. <laughs> I I because because I know that what what a Star Wars fan you are. So mm-hmm. to be like like uh it actually as a matter of fact in the the Thunderquack Patreon Facebook group right now there's there's a somebody posted a funny meme uh of uh, uh it's one of those you've heard of elf on the shelf and then oh, yeah, what Mando have you heard Mando. of and then it's Mando yeah. and is Lando on yeah. a Mando. Yeah. Um and and Curtis who is part of Thunderquack who hosts the Epic Marvel podcast uh, commented, what's that animal that's on the Mandalorian's armor on his shoulder. And it's like, I, I'm giving him a hard time in, in that, in the comment thread of like, I'm like, dude, you're just embarrassing yourself. Like you gotta <laughs> stop because it, to me, it's like, that is so integral to the story. Like it's, it, that is such an important moment in season one. How could you not know that that's the Mudhorn sigil? Right. But I, but also at the same time, like, like not everybody's going to commit the name Mudhorn to their I was going to say, like I, I mean, yeah, I also for, I remember yeah, yeah. it happening and that it was important. I don't know the names of all the animals in Star Wars. I'm yeah. real sorry. 
So Curtis responded, sorry, I guess I'm just not a Star Wars fan. And I said, no, it's just that you're a bad Star Wars fan. That's all. <laughs> Um, which is how I'm going to start distinguishing things. I'm going to be like, I'm not going to say like, look, everybody who wants to be a Star Wars fan is can be a Star Wars fan. There are just good Star Wars fans and bad Star Wars fans. And if you don't know what slicing is, you're just a bad Star Wars fan. That's all there is I to mean, it. and I think the opposite in which I disagree because I have just like huge problems with, I, like, I know that you feel like you're not gatekeeping, but I just. I, the I the difference is that I don't actually care. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's I mean, dumb I mean, yes, as like, i said and that is why we're friends mike because i understand yeah it's, it's 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 dumb that star wars <laughs> has to have its own word for hack and it's even <laughs> more dumb that there are people who would get mad at you for not knowing that um because you're on a star wars podcast so you have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all star wars it's uh, i get stuff wrong all the time and then people will give me flack about it and it's like you know what if i don't know if i don't know it by heart it's probably because the story that it's from is not great it's it's probably from one of the bad comics or the bad novels or the bad video games or um you know one of the bad movies because uh, because they do exist within star wars it's not all great i'm like i'm the type of star wars fan that i do good at star wars trim like the trivial pursuit star wars like mm-hmm. original like I do good. I like, I'm good at it, but also I find it challenge. Like I like, it's a fun game to play. It's not like, I'm like, Oh, I yeah. understand all of these. Right. But it's like super fun for me. I love playing star yeah. Wars trivial pursuit because like, then I remember the random things. And then sometimes I forget really stuff that I'm like, I'm never going to remember that anyways. And then I forget yeah. really obvious things and it's just, I make it fun. So to me, star Wars whereas, is fun and that's why I love it. So whereas I am the type of star Wars fan that I'm pretty sure I gave you my star Wars. Trivial you did. Pursuit, right? Yeah. yeah. I have yours. Because yeah. it is so not fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> because because anytime i i bust it out it's like the, look there's only one time there's only one situation in my life where i'm sitting around a table with enough people to play star wars trivial pursuit with to make it a sport right right and that's that star wars celebration and like like that's the only time in my life that i'm surrounded by enough people to fill out that board game otherwise i'm playing against my wife and you and and it's like, Wait. well, you guys have answers to a lot of the questions, but it's just, it's like, it's just not, it's not sporting, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just fair. not. It's, I, and I have, I have, it's not a judgment. That's just the reality. In the, same, in the same realm that we can all play together and, and yeah. have fun with it. So it's yeah. like, I, I, Crystal and I uh, were playing the, the Pokemon trading card game because I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's a there's a global pandemic and uh, we can't really go out and do a lot of stuff. So um, we have, we have other reasons as well, but it's technically work related, which is funny. I, I, but um, we were playing the Pokemon card game last night and I, I, (laughs) I was winning. Right. And, and that can be a little bit frustrating because I, because I tend to win at games like that a lot. Um, and it was like, well, I, I instinctively know advantages, even though this is the first time I'm seeing these decks, I instinctively know some of these advantages because I know a lot about Pokemon and Crystal knows nothing about Pokemon. So it's a very unfair situation of like, she doesn't, she, she doesn't know like the rock, paper, scissors dynamic of Pokemon where it's like, uh, fire is good against grass. Grass is good against water. Water is good against fire. Right. 
like if you don't, don't know anything about pokemon exactly right like like uh, uh it's just like that's a both enjoy things that we have no comprehension of like i play yeah, pokemon totally. go and i fight in gyms but i don't know which ones to use properly <laughs> yeah so. yeah exactly exactly and that's not like again that's not a judgment if anything i'm the loser <laughs> i'm the lame one who still remembers which pokemon is more powerful than the other pokemon because i played a game when i was 13 years old so granted i've replayed that game a lot of times since i was 13 but that just reinforces the fact that i'm a huge huge geek and uh and 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 sometimes people should just throw things at me um <laughs> all of that is combined. challenge accepted we we got on a weird tangent here when what we should be talking about are the weird clones in these tanks and uh people want to argue on the internet about stuff all the time let me tell you something those clones are related to Palpatine and Snoke. I was that's say, what that's if about. They're not, yeah, if they're not, I would be disappointed. Like anybody I'm like, who thinks that be. something else yeah. is going on there doesn't. Either they are looking too deep into it because they're going, well, it doesn't look exactly like Snoke or Palpatine. And it's like, yes, because it's a failed clone. You ding dong. But like also, it's 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 messed up. It doesn't. But it also does look like Snoke. And I like, want it to work so much because I would like. I would like if for nothing else for the Mandalorian to make the rise of Skywalker in some way <laughs> worth including in the star Wars canon in my brain, because so, so much of that is frustrating yeah, to me. So. Here's the other thing. This is not what this story is about. No. It, it, the, right. the, yeah. the Mandalorian as a series has, is not about how the empire and the first order revive Palpatine and create Snoke. No, We're not going to get that origin story here. This is an Easter egg mm -hmm. that connects the Mandalorian to the larger saga, right? That's the purpose of it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear about any of this cloning genetics stuff for a while. Um, we might get a, a mention of it from Gideon that that's what he wants the child for. The other part of this is that if you listen to the dialogue carefully um, and what Pershings is saying, they need the child for more than the Palpatine stuff. They might not, it might not even actually be related to the Palpatine stuff. Um, it sounds like they're trying to artificially give soldiers force abilities. When they mention the M count and then they mention the volunteer, right? That's not Palpatine. That's not Snoke, right? The the you wouldn't use the word volunteer for that. You would probably say like subject or right, right, right. Uh, yeah. Like 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 there would be there would be another way of referring to that. The volunteer sounds to me like we have a super soldier program and we have these soldiers that that have volunteered to be experimented on in order to create super soldiers. The other part that leads to that is at the end of this episode, not to jump ahead, but when we see those suits of armor, uh, which may or not may or may not be suits of armor, they might actually be droids, but I, I the, like those are dark troopers. Again, this isn't a debate 
everybody who wants to be like, well, it doesn't look exactly like blah, blah, blah from the existing blah, 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 blah. You're splitting hairs. Those are 100% meant to be Dark Troopers. End of story. Um, Dark Troopers are from a, a video game for, for folks who don't know uh, called Dark Forces, um, which is uh, a, started as a first-person shooter on the original PlayStation and PC. A very Doom... <laughs> I, I style video game um, like of that era, like very, very much like Doom, but with a Star Wars skin over it. And then that that game evolves like like through the story, the lead character of that Kyle Katarn evolves into a Jedi. <laughs> and he actually what? doesn't have force abilities in the first one. He's not a potential Jedi in the force one. It, sorry, in the first one in Dark Forces later on in this in the series. Uh, a magic rock gives him the ability to use the force. Legends is dumb. If people want to tell you that legends is the best thing, legends is dumb. I say that saying that Kyle Katarn is absolutely one of my favorite characters from post return of the Jedi legends. Absolutely. Like it's, it's, it's really, it's two characters. It's Coran horn first and then Kyle Katarn second. So I love that character. His origin story is straight up kooky dukes and it is dumb. It is, it's, it's so silly, but I think that they are reverse engineering the dark forces storyline, working it into the first order story, because obviously that none of that stuff can happen now because the state of the galaxy 30 years after is very different from what it was in the legends EU. Right. So they are essentially taking elements from legends and building other stories around them. And so I think that's why we're seeing this, this experimentation with midichlorians, which they don't say midichlorians, they say M count, but that's what the M and M count stands for. Again, <laughs> this is not up for debate. Uh, at least not on this podcast. It's not like these things are, are, are truths until they're not truths. I, uh, they're it's experimenting everything. with midichlorians and injecting people with them. And, and the, ho- the hosts, the volunteers are, are rejecting these midichlorians, right? Uh, which, which is an interesting dynamic. And there's some philosophical stuff about the force and the Jedi to talk about there. Um, and whether or not the midichlorians, like whether or not the force is choosing who has a high midichlorian count and who doesn't, but that obviously, we know we know of two characters in Star Wars who have very high midichlorian counts, and we can infer a few other others from that. But we know uh, academically too, Anakin Skywalker has the highest that we've that we that we know of on record, and Yoda would be the next highest because that's the metric by which that's measured. Um, Yoda obviously being the same species as the child, so now we can say okay, whatever species, whatever their species is called, <clears throat> they clearly have this in them. It's, it's just, it's an innate thing within this species as far as we know, because the only three examples we have of this species are, have, have incredible force powers, two Jedi council members and the child. So, um, you know what? Yeah. And we don't know who Anakin's dad is. So maybe it's the same dad <laughs> and maybe that is, it's, it's just a just midichlorians are just fine female hosts and it's very selective in out. Okay. Sorry. I'm digressing. We're taking, sorry, <laughs> carry on. 
no but 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 there is there is a lot of like stuff there to to dig into and certainly i think as we learn more about what gideon and his his imperial cell are doing um with with the child's blood to try and create um i it sounds like they're trying to create dark troopers like that's that's what they're trying to make um which are there are different phases of the dark troopers for they start as as full-on droids and then they become cybernetic and then they have force ability like it's a whole it's a whole thing but um i it would appear that that's that's what they're driving towards with this um and i think that what we're building up towards is a fight between the mandalorians and gideon's army of of cybernetically enhanced or or droid soldiers um which would be a really interesting thing for din to deal with because he's got that whole problem with droids but uh yeah i uh so all all of that is just coming out of this one scene but uh i some good some good horror there's some good musical cues here that uh that that clue us into what's going on but let's continue because we still have a lot of episodes to talk about yes surprisingly they cram so much into 35 minutes on this show actually what's this one i think this one's closer to 40 but uh whose turn is it is it mine you yeah uh with gideon alive the child is in danger the crew is interrupted by a contingent of stormtroopers once dispatched din breaks off from the group planning to jetpack back to the city as quickly as possible Splitting up, he makes it back to the reactor controls, jetting out through the opening above, taking out stormtroopers along the way. The others make their way back to the platform, but are pinned down by troopers. Their only exit is blocked. Kara has an idea. She makes for the Imperial transport, starting it up and driving it towards the others. They board it, and Kara attempts to drive into the base, but the gate is closed before they can get it. With no other choice, the Marshal reverses the transport, launching it off the platform and down to the lava flats below, crushing Mithril's speeder on the way down. Uh, this is just action, so we are going to just, we're going to blast through. through. Yeah. yeah. As they make their escape, they're pursued by a squad of speeder bikes. Zooming across the flats, Grief mans the guns at the rear of the transport, quickly gunning down one speeder bike. The others manage to make their way up beside the transport and out of the gun's range, but Kara slams one of them into the side of the canyon wall. Meanwhile, the other scout has managed to get on top of the transport and is about to drop a grenade inside, but Grief blasts him with the cannons before he can. But they're not safe yet. The base has launched several TIE fighters, which are quickly outpacing the transport. One fighter almost locks onto them, but Grief shoots it down just in time. Unfortunately, the cockpit of the fighter tumbles towards them, destroying the gun. Uh, so this, we've just like blown through a very impressive action sequence, but uh, but it is a very impressive action sequence. It, it I, looks I do, great. It's paced well. I so love the like consistency of sound design in the Star Wars universe because yeah. there's just something so beautiful about speeder bikes and TIE fighters. Just like, you know those sounds and i don't know i just i just thought that that was like pretty notable in this big sequence which was fun yeah yeah i i ben burt is the one who originally designed all that stuff and apparently his son works on the show nice. uh which is really cool i i just as they make it out onto the open lava flats one of the ties is blasted out of the sky 
Mando has arrived in the freshly repaired Razor Crest, immediately distracting the remaining fighters. The Imperials pursue the crest, but through some fancy flying... Uh, oh, man, this is terrible writing on my part. I'm just going to own this. Through some fancy flying, Din outflies them. Man, I need to <laughs> I need to proofread this stuff before we record. It's like I write it, and then and then I'm but cold reading it. But through some fancy cause... maneuvers, Din outflies them. That's all you Yeah, that would have been better. All good. Uh, clearing the skies above Navarro from further Imperial entanglement. Uh, his maneuvers have left the child feeling a bit queasy, though, which this is, again, one of the best parts, because this is a great action sequence uh, when 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 Mando comes in in the Razor Crest and we get to see what the Razor Crest can do um, and and particularly how great of a pilot he is. Yeah. But we also get these shots of the child buckled in. Uh, enjoying the ride. <laughs> I love when he's like, he's thrown his hands in the air and he's smiling. Cause he just loves to go fast and do spins and all that stuff. He's uh he's, he's, he loves the action, but then, uh, <laughs> then when it's all said and done, I love the moment where Din, he leans, like he, he looks back towards the kid and he's like, that was pretty cool. Hey. And the, and the kid just barfs. <laughs> he just <laughs> spits up on himself. And Din's reaction is the most, dad reaction and i think this is one of those places where carl weathers directing this episode really shines is that this is such a dad moment uh it's so relatable where he's like oh geez <laughs> and then grief contacts him and he's like he's like uh, he's like i know i've got some uh some onboard uh maintenance that i gotta take care of <laughs> which is just I love it's it. that's that's a that's a dad on a call while driving the phone while driving the phone, while driving the car, driving the car, I, I, cool. and just like, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta deal with something. <laughs> Not wanting to say what has happened in the back. <laughs> um, and then he uses his cape. I love that he uses his cape to wipe the kid's face. <laughs> uh, go ahead, you can continue. Okay. Uh, with the ship now repaired, the clan of two makes their way. Oh, make their way back into space and on their way to Corvus to find Ahsoka Tana. Tano, sorry. <laughs> Later, back on Navarro, grief is questioned by Captain Carson Tiva, one of the New Republic pilots that Mando previously ran into. They've gotten reports that the Razor Crest was sighted in the system, and he's following up. Grief plays it off, citing a faulty control droid that can't tell anything pre-Empire apart before dismissing the officer. Uh, outside, Ahsoka Tano? Teva, Ahsoka Tano. it's it's Ahsoka sorry. Tano. Sure. Yeah. Outside, uh, Teva notices Cara Dune and stops to see if she has anything to add to the report. She's tight-lipped, but Carson notes that there's something going on in the Outer Rim, although the Corps won't acknowledge it. He wants to help, but he needs the locals to involve him. Cara remains unmoved. Carson attempts to flee with her, bringing up Alderaan and asking her to consider rejoining the New Republic. This is an interesting approach. First of all, I love to see this character come back. Um, yeah, I was not expecting that. He seemed like yeah. he was just going to be there for one episode. It's cool. Yeah, um, yeah, I love, I love that we get this this recurring character uh, of Captain Carson Teva, uh, and uh, I, this this moment between these two characters is really interesting because she's clearly not ready to deal with um, uh, whatever damage that she's got from the destruction of Alderaan and fighting in the war and all that stuff. Um, but, but he's, 
he recognizes that she's a good soldier um and and she's done a really good job of freeing the system right uh and 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 keeping the peace um and, and so clearly she's with... not an outlaw yeah. she's she's yeah. clearly a a good person um she is a deserter if you if you remember back to last season i she wants to stay away from the new republic that's one of the reasons why she's in the outer rim right so it's a little bit unclear what it's, I guess it's not that unclear. It's just like there's some technical components here that I guess are left vague where him placing the badge down to me seems like like Teva saying like, like, we're going to look the other way. Yeah. Like you can you can we need soldiers, certainly good ones and people who do the right thing in the face of you know, like a, a daunting uh, uh, opposition. Um, and, and he places that badge down. And I think that's meant to be like, a, 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 like, like all, all previous sins are forgiven sort of thing. Um, I got, that's sort of what I got from it. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, but it is kind of, it's, it is weirdly vague the way that it's the way that it's kind of left. Um, but obviously Kara is going to need to make a decision at some point. Um, and honestly, I think it's a really great way for them to just write her out of the show, uh, <laughs> which would be the simplest thing to deal with that character and the controversy around her is just to say at the end of this season or, or whenever her storyline is, is, is wrapped up. Cause I wouldn't want them to cut just her story like, short. Okay. Cause I think that would be a disservice to the, to the larger narrative, but um, for her to just basically be like, you know, I got to do the right thing. I have to, I have to help the new Republic and for her to go back. Um, but, uh, but who knows, who knows what we'll see from that in the future. Do you want to close this one out? I sure do. Yeah. Aboard an unknown Imperial cruiser in deep space, an officer receives a transition transmission from the mechanic on Navarro. A tracker has been planted aboard the razor crest and is now transmitting their location. The officer makes their way through the cruiser to relay this information to their commander, Moff Gideon. Pleased at the news, Gideon remarks that they will be prepared to deal with the Mandalorian, turned to regard two banks of polished black armor, more advanced and intimidating than any stormtrooper we've ever seen. This is the one paragraph that I have a problem with your use of the gender neutral ter- um, term because it's a she. It's a female Imperial officer because I think it's so cool when they have like women who are unnamed soldier people. I just think that that's so underused and it really stood out to me that it was a woman that was like a low-ranking person. It is a big deal, actually. This is is the first time that we've seen uh, a woman in the Imperial uh, uh, command ranks. So we've seen Uh, First Order. We've seen First Order, but in live action, this is the first oh. time that we've seen a woman in, in, in the Empire. In in, the Empire. Yeah, okay, because yeah. I was going to say, because First Order, there definitely was. First Order, there's uh, tons. No, there's tons. Yeah. But the okay. First Order the first order ha- also has diversity across the board. There are people right. of other ethnicities as well. So right. when we when we talk about what we saw in the original trilogy, uh, it's it, this is a this is this is a big deal. But like yeah. there are characters in continuity 
that that exist in that time period that are women that are uh, uh, different ethnicities. But yeah, but just but, but, to, on but screen, to show them in the actual like I yeah. just thought it was really cool. So yeah, for sure. Because women can be a holes too. <laughs> yes. Part uh, of organizations that are not. Yeah. And you definitely get the slimy uh, imperial vibe from everyone oh, yeah. involved in this scene. Oh, right? yeah. Like, she um, knows exactly what she's a part of. She walked into the yeah. place where they're doing the slimy experiments or whatever. Yeah. Skeezy? I tried to Skeezy. say a word that didn't, exist, didn't yeah. exist there. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, these these... These dark troopers are interesting to me because um, they look very mechanical, but at the same time, you have one of the the lab tech characters inspecting them, um, and he's in like the science outfit. Now, it's not dissimilar from what we saw in Rogue One with the engineers that are building the Death Star with their their sort of lab outfits but but he also it to me this character in the background inspecting the suits looks a lot like dr pershing's who is very clearly involved in the genetic side of things right, right. so it's it, there's a question of whether or not there's an organic component to these these suits or whether they are purely mechanical or whether they're just empty suits right um but uh, well i definitely thought that they were not empty that was my that was my vibe as well is that like there's something really creepy and frankensteinish going yeah, on there yeah. um yeah, yeah, it yeah, definitely sure. it definitely felt uncomfortable and and gideon in particular uh gives off uh that just that that vibe he's just he's up to no good he's up to zero <laughs> good there is good. nothing good about this character um it. other than the fact that he's awesome and a great villain um but yeah uh can't wait to see what happens with this uh with this development i think it's gonna be a while i think i straight up forgot about this this. yeah after watching um, the episode you mean oh yeah after watching the episode i forgot that they totally have this like that there's like this looming threat now of being tracked but i don't know sometimes we talk about this and then they like they act on it immediately so it's well yes i like i would like it to not come back immediately for it to be this sort of like us forget about it for an episode because we're too like caught up in other stuff but um it also could just straight up be a thing that happens next episode it could be um i i i it is very interesting because I, I it is one of the only scenes that I, we cut away from the Mandalorian story, right? We cut away from Din and the child. Yeah, story. yeah. I, yeah, I um, didn't really think about that. The only the other thing that really yeah. that really pops to mind for me is um, in in the the season one finale after they leave the the armorer's workshop like they they move on but then we cut back to her fighting the stormtroopers right but but that's almost kind of like it's a continuation of the scene that they were just in even yeah. though we're kind of cutting back and forth but it is one of those moments where it's like mando's not present for that most of the time for for the majority vast majority of the season mando is present right um yeah I, I, and then at the beginning of this episode as well, we got the, the scene with Kara, right? So, yeah, I, it, it, yeah, like there, 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 which just indicates to me that there's sort of the story is starting to branch out a little bit into 
the larger galaxy. It's it's this to me, especially because we're halfway through the season. This indicates to me that we're about to cross a threshold that that we're about to go from this very um, especially now that we kind of know why they want the child and and how important it is to what they're doing um, because they're out of genetic material and they need more in order to continue. So now they're desperate, right? Right. Um, it's it, it's indicating to me that that we're gonna go from this personal story, these these little vignettes, into the larger narrative of what is happening. And and I, I Carson's words about like there's something going on out here, like which which to me says that there's more than even what we know about. Like he's talking about everything that Mando's involved in, but but it, that also implies that um, that Gideon is, has other initiatives going, and right. yeah, yeah, yeah. the New Republic, well, or at least uh, Teva and Wolf, uh, uh, Dave Filoni's character, that they that they're tracking down these leads, which I just I love that they're like these weird space cops. <laughs> that they're just like it's these fun. weird it's outer fun. room I space like it. cops. I like it. Um, it's it's really they cool because yeah, there's the, almost the, like a private eye vibe to them of like there is, and I the, but that is one of the things that I do like that it's like maybe the Republic isn't ready to forgive Cara Dune, but there's enough people on the front on like the back lines, right? Like the ones working in these outer rim areas who yeah. are given a certain amount of authority to recruit who they need to to work on stuff because yeah. like you know when you're building rebellion you use whoever you can get and i feel like a lot of people probably are still bringing that kind of ethos and attitude in with them so yeah well i mean what for for carson to bring up that he served during alderaan right like yeah. like yeah. that like that means that he was a rebellion fighter as well he's not yeah. he's not new mm-hmm. to this as yeah. a matter of fact um a, a person posted on i think it was on twitter they had posted a picture because uh, uh, Paul, oh man, Sun Hyung Lee, I think so. Uh, he's a, he's a we've talked about this. He's a big Star Wars fan, right? He's a cosplayer. He he's a member of the Five Hundred First, and they so there's a bunch of pictures of him in. Uh, he's got Scout Trooper armor. He's got an Imperial officer uniform. He has his own X wing gear, um, and. Uh, somebody posted a thing of like of of him in his imperial officer uniform and then his rebel pilot uniform, uh, which is slightly different than his uh, 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 New Republic uniform, right? Um, and and saying like, could this be Carson Teva's untold backstory? And 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 Paul was kind of like, yeah, maybe, <laughs> like could be, like 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 that's definitely. That's definitely a possibility sort of thing. Just sort of like, like tongue in cheek, like, like he doesn't have a backstory right now, but you know, like you could get that at one point, maybe he was an Imperial Um, because age wise, he could have been, he could have even been, I, I like not soon after the, the, the fall of the Republic. Right. Um, So, so back when people thought that the empire were the good guys. And then as soon as he realized, oh no, 
we're the bad guys he jumped ship just like so Only many characters did. yeah <laughs> just like just like wedge <laughs> antilles and and biggs and yeah. and like luke would have done eventually had he enjoyed had he joined the imperial academy um right, so yeah. yeah like i i that of all of the characters in the mandalorian i really feel like this is the character that i want i don't need other characters backstories i don't need to know where grief came from i don't need to know where kara came from i don't even really need to know that much more about din's backstory i feel like i have enough information to move forward with them as opposed to being worried about what's in the rear view with 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 carson teva's character i absolutely want to know everything about his history like I it, and I don't know what it is the the allure of that with that character probably just the iconography of him in an X wing with that uniform. But he's also just, so like unassuming, right? He's just like yeah. a dude that's part of this new galaxy order that's trying to figure something out, right? Like it's I don't know, it's kind of it's kind of cool. Plus, he just seems like your dad, right? Like not <laughs> yeah, not your he doesn't seem like your dad, but he seems like but he seems like, like he seems like the the royal dad. Yeah, the, the royal that dad that's just trying to be like, yeah. "Hey, kids, we got to get this galaxy together now. Yeah, everybody, yeah. do your pick part. Up, pick up your toys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's just like a there is definitely like a very uh, uh, dad vibe from him. Um, <laughs> you know what? He reminds me of um, Carl Winslow, the dad from Family Matters, uh, yeah, who was a cop. Yeah. Yeah, same yeah. vibe, totally the same, same cut from the same cloth. <laughs> or he's very much like, 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 look, you know, I, I, yeah. Okay. You, you, you shoplifted a pack of gum. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. If you put like, if you take it back and you apologize and, you know, yeah. and you've learned your lesson, but if I see you do this again, we're going to have a problem. Right. Yeah. Like definitely like that. Very like. You would save from the spiders, but leave you to get your ship out of there yourself. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, you made this mess. You can, you're going to clean it up. Um, yeah, definitely to me, this might be a controversial opinion for some, but definitely to me, the example of what a good cop should be, um, that that like he is actually interested in safe in like in the safety and security of the people that he serves and uh, and and he doesn't press things, even though he knows that grief is lying to him. It's like, well if I push you on this, we're not going to get anywhere anyways. And all that, all it's going to do is, is take away a, a, a person doing a good thing out here. Right. Like, like there's no point in making enemies with this person because actually I need, uh, we need to be on each other's sides. Like that's his, that's what he's actually after. And that's what he says to Kara as he's leaving is like, I need like, like I want to help. We're here to help. We're not here to start trouble or enforce the law or the rule of, of the, of the core worlds or whatever. As a matter of fact, they've got their heads up their butts sort of thing. Right. Like, like he's definitely like, Hey, I'm not one of you, but I definitely want to work with you. Um, sort of vibe, which is, which is, I think the attitude that you would want from somebody in that position. Um, and and so yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to see these characters come back and and to see. I guarantee we're going to see him again. I guarantee we'll see uh, that we will see Trapper Wolf again. We oh. have to see Trapper Wolf again because we need to see him die. 
right? We gotta Aww. see. We gotta see Dave Filoni get blown up in an X-wing cockpit. Why? That's so sad. Because it's the in order for Dave to complete his journey as an X-wing pilot, he's got to get blown up. Okay. I'm sure we talked about this on a previous episode with one of our previous uh, guests. That 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 is, that's a good thing. This is a good thing. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Um. Do you do the mail part now? And then yeah, yeah. Now I'm we jump into the mail. Late, and now I'm kind of like, oh no, my yeah. Star Wars brain. Um. Yeah. Let's jump into the mailbag. I. Uh, I kind of. I. I had said that this episode was a nice uh, change of pace. It was a little bit more uh, sort of. Uh, uh, it was like a nice contained action episode, um, but it also kind of slowed down in parts with the with the town and the school and stuff, which was cool in the beginning. Um, and then I, I asked people what their favorite moments were. Uh, and, uh, and Martin Allman, uh, uh, he posted on Facebook. I loved the episode. I think Carl Weathers really directed a solid installment. The episode had many elements in it that made it, that really made it feel like classic star Wars Mando's ship needing repairs, heroes infiltrating an Imperial base. The episode even had scenes with our main duo, namely the end with Karga, Carson and Kara. And if, Oh, sorry, without, yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, that ending with Moff Gideon. Uh, what excites me the most is the overall narrative of the show continues to expand chapter by chapter in new and exciting ways. For me, there hasn't been a weak episode yet this season. I even enjoyed Cara Dune this episode, despite the real world Bantha Pudu Gina <laughs> has stepped in recently. I didn't know if I would be able to separate it at first, but having her taking out a gang of Aqualish Raiders and befriending a Lava Meerkat really did it for me. Lastly, I think one of my favorite moments was the dogfight at the end. The way the ship and camera moved together was so visceral, I couldn't contain my excitement. The ship-to-ship cinematography this season has been spectacular. I really can't wait for next week's episode. Uh, yeah, it's. I think uh, echo a lot of those sentiments. Uh, and I then miss, over on, sorry, go ahead. I miss I miss mailbags so much, <laughs> having not done Quiver for so long. That yeah. this is awesome. It's so cool to hear people's thoughts on the episode. I, sorry, carry on. No, it's all good. Over on Instagram, uh, uh, old man Matt Thor, I, I post. I still got to ask Matt what how he wants that pronounced because it's because I say it in my Thor? head, old man Mather. Mathor. Do you? In my head. I I, don't know. I I would say it as like Matt Tor, like the H is silent, but anyways, I'll inquire with him later. Uh, another solid episode. As always, the child is beyond adorable and always hungry. It was good to catch up with Grief Karga and Marshall Cara Dune on Navarro. The assault on the Imperial facility gave me video game vibes. Uh, it was interesting to see how the Empire is using the child's genetics to create some sort of clone hybrids. My personal favorite moment was when the newly rebuilt Razor Crest flies to save the day by blasting those TIE fighters out of the sky. And I can't forget the cliffhanger of Moff Gideon examining what I can only guess are his own personal army of dark troopers. While it wasn't the best episode this season, I definitely it it, it definitely set the stage for what is to come. Yeah. I yeah, I I I really enjoyed it and but I would agree. Well, it's, I don't think it's the strongest episode so far this season i think maybe maybe last week's episode or actually you know what i'll say the season premiere was the strongest one so far um but i i but it's but i mean like this the idea that that we haven't had a week episode yet which is what uh marty said like it, it that's absolutely the truth um like we're 
we are very lucky to have this show. <laughs> We're so lucky after Rise of Skywalker. It could have gone a completely different direction. Uh, and then Shirsten sent in another email. She's been sent she sent in an email every episode so far. Let's nice. let's see if she can do the whole season. I uh, I'll admit I didn't pay good attention to this episode for personal reasons, so I'm looking forward to hearing your recap. I will say two things. I liked seeing Horatio Sands' character back as comic relief and is that where the blue milk comes from? I uh, are we talking about the cookies? I, I guess so. Or are we talking right? about Horatio Sands? <laughs> when he when he does this spurt thing because oh, she's got I mean, the laughing emoji at the end here and i think that she might be talking about when he does the hoof but did you catch weird. that's why the cookies are blue because they're made with the blue milk oh. i don't know if you use milk to make to make uh macarons but 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 yeah no, i like, didn't get I think that that's, that's why the... they're blue that they're blue milk that they're because it is it does look the same so it's like okay cool yeah i think that's supposed to be the connection there is that there is that it's that just they've so, been made with such milk. a bright color and so weird it's not even that it's blue it's like the type of blue that it is yeah it's and so you, the, we, we didn't talk about it but uh i think it's william sonoma ha- is selling uh the cookies officially what? branded macaroon that is amazing from, from the Mandalorian, they are. Sonoma? I think it was William Sonoma. Uh, and they are they're they're branded as Navarro Nummies. Oh. And they are forty nine ninety five <laughs> for a box of twelve stale frozen cookies. I mean, because they will arrive to you if you read the description on their website. They will arrive to you frozen or refrigerated. Wow. Because obviously, I mean, like like these cookies are meant to be eaten fresh, right? Like you would go you would go to like a nice bakery to get and get to a get macaron, a good yeah, yeah, macaron, yeah. right? Um, like you wouldn't just like I mean you could definitely buy them in a grocery store, but they're not going to be good. I I and it is one thing to sell a freeze dried cookie of this type. It is another thing to charge fifty dollars for 12 cookies and some people have worked it out that it's like well that's only like four dollars a cookie i'm sorry four dollars for a cookie that takes two bites to eat no for a cookie that has been frozen no they're really expensive though like i went i was they are myself some from Meinhardt, and they're like two dollars each so it's like they are because they're very difficult to make right like it's it as as a matter of fact uh, I haven't watched MasterChef in a while, but for the last few seasons that I watched, it always came up as one of the challenges of like, you guys got to make these cookies because it's like, cause there, there's the two components of it and they're very difficult to make, um, to do it right, to get the right consistency and the right, the right texture, um, and not burn them and all that stuff. Right. So they're, they're very temperamental confectionery to bake, but these are being mass produced, put in boxes and shipped. They are not like artisanally made handcrafted cookies. These are <laughs> being made in a factory somewhere. They're not going to be good. And and people are buying them. And that this is one of the problems with Star Wars fandom is that you can literally slap the Mandalorian logo on a bag of grapes and people get excited. That's I mean, not yeah. an exaggeration. That is not hyperbole. 
you can literally buy a bag of seedless red grapes that are for some reason branded as the Mandalorian grapes. Makes no sense. It makes no sense. At least if they were eggs, we could have a conversation. But grapes, it like it's so dumb. And it, you know what's the, the worst but, part about this? But Mike? the reality, people buy it. Like they're what, not what's available the worst in Canada. <laughs> the cookies. Yeah. Yeah. It, made, yeah. it redirected me to the William Sonoma Canada site, and they aren't available. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll keep searching, but I'm like, because now I'm. I'm intrigued. I want to buy these $40 stupid cookies. $50. $50, $50. American. So closer to $75 oh, plus shipping. So gross. Those cookies are going to cost you $100 to get across the border, Amanda. Oh, no. If if they'll <laughs> ship them across the border. And, and I guarantee you, you could pay that money and they could get to the border. And with the way that the world is right now, they would probably get rejected. Yeah, that's fair. At which point, I don't think you'd get your money back. <laughs> I think that they would just throw them in the garbage and they would just be like, no, this, this food stuff cannot cross the border uh, during a global pandemic. Uh, anyways. Well, I'm glad that are, it would have Yeah, if you're buying $50 stale cookies, you're part of the problem. Um, <laughs> better I really yet, think they're my favorite kinds of cookies, though. Like, even a bad macaron, because <laughs> I think they're... Like, I don't want to call them macaroons, but I do call them macaroons in my brain, even though I know that that's a different kind of cookie. It's it's, it's like, macaroon with a French accent because a macaroon is a different macaron. type of cookie. They're yeah. they're macarons. Macaron. But like Macron, the guy that is in charge of yeah. France. Um, but yeah, no, the, but I'm kind of so I'm kind of like even the worst one of those on my on on is still better than a lot of the other kinds of cookies. that I, anyway. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just go to the Meinhardt and be like, hey, can you guys do blue ones? If I ordered a box of 24 of these, could you do blue ones? And then just don't have the Star Wars brand on them. I will make you a Star Wars box. Merry Christmas. (laughs) That's your Christmas present. I will design you a better box than the one that William Sonoma did because it's just the Mandalorian logo. They didn't even like. Yeah, they didn't they didn't even try. They didn't even it's not even like I don't even think it comes in like a collectible tin, right? Which what? that would be another thing is like if it comes look, if they came in like an in-world, like a galaxy's edge style collectible tin, right? Like like as if you were yeah. in the theme park, collectible tin, and they were in the silver packets like they are in the show. Yeah, then that's different and it would Now you're sense. now you're starting to build towards something. But it but the the I, if I remember correctly, the picture is like a white box with the brown Mandalorian logo on it and a picture of Mando with the kid, like just a stock photo. Like they didn't they did no work. Like speaking as a graphic designer, that was a half a day job for somebody. Like they were like bam 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 it's done send me the assets and then they just put it together in the spots that were available. Um, Yeah. No. Boo earns is what I say to that. Boo earns. (laughs) Uh, And with that, on that note, we're going to wrap this episode up. Uh, Thank you, Amanda. Yeah. With the important stuff, the cookie conversation. I think uh, the other, so the thing that made me bring up the cookies in the first place was that the ones that they're selling, they're not even as brilliant blue as the ones in the Mm. show. So they don't even match. Like they're not like if you're gonna if they're fifty dollars, they should be screen accurate. But anyways, 
Uh, hopefully they just make it a thing that you can get at Galaxy's Edge. That this is oh, just yeah. like one of the many treats that you can buy in the park. So that, that when cool. we do eventually get to go there, that we can just I'm buy some Navarro so nummies. so excited, Mike. I just cannot Batu. wait. It's going to be so much better. I'm so if excited. they don't have them at Galaxy's Edge when it opens back up in, at, in California, like... Uh, what's the point what are we doing here what why 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 does this exist society (laughs) yeah what everything we've built has led to this point and you've (laughs) and you've potentially messed that up it would just be a it would be tragic i thank you amanda for joining me on this episode of faster more intense let the people know where they can find you Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you can uh, listen to me on the Thunderquack podcast with Mike, who I'm sure he he plugs that a lot. Um, but you can also find me on my own personal social media um, on Instagram at aconkin86, A-K-O-N-K-I-N, um, and also just on Twitter as aconkin. I totally did that the wrong way, and it messed me up so bad. That's okay. Not, but, I... but Instagram and Twitter, and I've now got my pronouns on Twitter, so... That's Instagram good. Profile as well. I, you guys know where to find me, A R K W U L F, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can also follow my art account, Archangel Wolf, A R K A N G E L W U L F, and check out all of the Mando Monday pictures that I've been posting there for each episode. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of bonus ones up. I, one of the bonus, so this week's one that I did was the child, uh, with the wires, with the cables. I, uh, pre-electrocution. Um, but uh, I also did a bonus uh, extra one from last week's episode of the uh, the the sweater Moncal. Uh, the, uh, cozy Monfish, as I am calling him. That's until he has a name. That's the name that I've given him. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, go check that out on Instagram and give me a follow. I, and uh, thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Hopefully with matt um for uh well, what's it going to be chapter 13 uh and and uh, hopefully with some exciting news about ahsoka tano uh but that's it for this week thanks for listening we will see you next time you can follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at star wars fmi If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.
Faster, More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.